Well, hello, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Excited to be in God's house today? Come on. It's going to be a good, good day. Uh, in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to watch people go through the waters of baptism, and that's always a really special, special moment. And uh, my name's Matt. If I haven't had a chance to meet you just yet, or maybe you're worshiping with us for the first time, uh, welcome to Venice Church. We are super excited that you're here. Today, um, you're here for the final installment of a series that we do every single year called Live Love. And this series is always one of those that I look forward to and can I be, I'll, I'll kind of dread a little bit too. Because I have to find a fresh way to say the same old thing that I've said for years now. And the reason why we have to keep repeating these things is because we have to make sure that we never drift from why God created his church. Because it's super easy to do. It's super easy to get caught up in the wrong thing. Anybody ever get distracted? Seven honest people in the room. Awesome. Have you ever been so distracted like you ran upstairs into your bedroom for a specific reason 30 seconds ago, and when you got there, you thought, why am I here? Yeah, come on, somebody. I don't care how old you are. You Like this morning, yes, that's why I have two different socks on today. I don't know what happened on the way to church. And it's so easy just to lose sight of our why. It's so easy. And as we have moved throughout the history of our church, every year around this time, we lean back into our, our why. And it's hard to believe it's been so many years now. And it was funny. I think I, I give a different number every time I say how many years. Time is a weird construct right now. Can anybody tell? It's been 17 years since COVID started. Doesn't it feel like that? So time is just a weird thing right now. You don't, weeks feel like months and days feel like years, and it's just weird. But this all started in September of 2008 when our church was meeting at Southern Guilford Middle School and about 20 of us. And Lyle and Jason led worship with just two acoustic guitars and we had a, just a projector on a screen and some stolen, borrowed uh, ficus trees from around that school. And from September to about February of the next year, we called this Vintage 101 or just for several months, I just shared my heart for what God was calling us to be and calling us to do. And we walked through the book of Acts and we walked through it. We really, we took like four or five months just to lay the foundation of who we are as a church and just solidifying that thing. Said, this is who we want to be. And over the years, a lot has changed. There's been so much about our church that doesn't look anything like it did back then. I mean, again, we could have put our whole church in like, like right here. And we've been in multiple schools. We went from Southern Guilford Middle School to Randleman High School to Randleman Middle School and then now into this building. And no matter how much has changed, what I hope has never changed is our desire to inspire people to live in love like Jesus because that's why we exist. Inspiring people to live in love like Jesus is the why behind everything that we do whether it's a worship gathering or a community group or when we feed hundreds of families across our county in a few weeks or our Thanksgiving initiative. Why is Vintage doing that? To inspire people to live in love like Jesus. We don't do anything just to fill this room. We don't do anything to make anybody popular. We are here to make sure people understand there is a God in heaven who loved them enough to become one of us and gave up his life after living a sinless one was the sacrifice necessary so that we could be bought out of our sin, have hope, and life in him and spend eternity with him one day. 
we get to this part of Live Love every year, I always feel this pressure <laughs> that I'm supposed to, to finish thing and say, okay, guys, here's where we're going. And give us some big vision for the future about what God has next for our church and get everybody hyped and excited. But we're here for hope, not hype. Come on, somebody. And vision is one of those words that is way too overused in church culture in the last 20 years. Vision, vision, vision. Oh, he has a vision from the Lord. First of all, I'm not, I'm not even sure exactly what we mean when we say that. And sometimes I think we're just talking about strategy or programming or something. But here's the thing. We will always be more mission-centered than man's vision-centered. Because, listen, vision will change. Vision will evolve. Vision is just the way that we go about accomplishing. The mission matters most. The mission matters most. So people ask me all the time, you're in your vision series right now. And I correct no, 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 no. We're not in our, this is not a vision series. It's a mission series. It's a reminder of our mission, why we exist. And as we moved into this final installment of 2022's version of Live Love, I've, I've kind of thought about that. And there have been times I feel like God gave me a vision, if that's what we want to call it. I don't know that I would use that. You know, people, the reason why we use this vision word is because in Proverbs, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the only verse in all the Bible that contemporary young people like to do the King James version of because we like the way it's worded. But essentially, if you really, a better translation of that verse in Proverbs is where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, where the word, is, where the word of God is absent, chaos is present. Where the word of God is not adhered to, leaned into, lived out, serving as the guardrails of life, people go sideways. That's much more about the word of God than a vision of man. But there have been times I feel like God has put stuff in my heart to say, all right, this is, this is where I want you to go next, and this is what I want you to do next, and in order to accomplish God's will in your life, when he led us from Randleman, I mean, from Guilford Middle School to Randleman High School, and then from Randleman High School to Randleman Middle School, and there was another time where I felt like God gave me a vision, and what's crazy is it wasn't far from where this baptism was sitting right now. I even looked down at that thing. That, that's actually a trough that we bought at Tractor Supply for real. And it was silver and somebody thought we got to paint it black and whatever. There, we used that thing in 2010 at Randleman High School. And there are a lot of people that have gone public with their faith through that old cattle trough. But this morning in our first gathering, I was sitting over there and I was looking at where that is. And I was thinking about the time that I stood not far from where this is positioned today buying pita bread and grape juice for communion because we were still at Random in High School and this was a Lowe's Foods. And I came in here that day to buy communion elements and standing in line, hearing the lady in front of me talk to the lady that was checking her out and talking about how much she was going to miss shopping at Lowe's Foods because they were going to be closing the doors of this grocery store not too long after that day. And in my spirit, I felt the Lord just say, this is where you're going to worship. Again, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Sounds like Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones, I'm convinced. But I remember that day, God, like, like stirring something in my spirit. This is, this is where you're going to worship. And we're going to go from wonder bread to the bread of life right here in the middle of the grocery store. And 
Y'all have heard this story. I would come over here before they closed, and I'd walk around and pray, and I'd leave, and I'm convinced they thought I was stealing Skittles or something because I wouldn't buy anything. I'd just walk around and pray, and then I'd leave, and all the years trying to get in this building and convinced that it would never happen. It took nine years from the day I stood in that aisleway somewhere around here and from the day that God let us move into this space. I had a vision of God turning this grocery store into a house of worship. And over the years, there's been moments when God has done that. He's prompted my spirit and led us to make decisions. But and I get that question all the time. Like, Matt, what, what's, the, what's the next thing for Vintage Church? What's, the, what's your vision for the future? You know what's weird is I don't see buildings and lights and all the things that I know we're going to need and I know we have to use and leverage for God's glory. But when I feel like if you ask me what's a vision for our church, it has nothing to do with all the things that I feel like it used to. And it has everything to do with an image I see for your life and mine. If you say, Matt, like, what do you hope for, for the future? What, what is the vision you have for the future? It, it, it's shifted so much. It's become much more about what I, what I want to see happen in the lives of the people that now we're entrusted with discipling for God's glory. Matt, what do you want to see 10 years from now? 10 years from now, I want to see kids that are in kids' ministry and are now in middle school because we did such a good job laying a foundation of faith in their lives. When they go to navigate the tough season of adolescence, they know who they are no matter what culture throws at them. That's what I see. You want a vision, that's one worth chasing. I see a vision of a student ministry that so lays a foundation of faith in the life of a child that when they graduate from high school, when they step on a, camp, a campus, they are so rooted in the word, they can distinguish the truth from the lie. I see people getting married and staying married. Because they step into the holy covenant of marriage, understanding what it is and what it can be and the beauty of what God has created it to be. And they've been a part of a church that equipped them for the hard stuff. And even if they never saw a good one up close, they show one to their kids. I see people actually walking out of church and living like Jesus on Monday. <laughs> People operating in every area of their lives through the filter of the gospel and God's word. That's my vision for the future. Because when Jesus stood on that mountain that day and had that conversation with his disciples, what he said matters. Can I remind you of it? Go with me back to where we began. Matthew chapter 28 Verses 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped, but some still doubted. And Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Sometimes I wonder if we've forgotten what Jesus said we were supposed to do. That he didn't say, go get people saved. Did he? He didn't simply say, get people saved. He didn't say, go create converts. He said, go make disciples. And now conversion, salvation is the first step in that process. That if people are going to be disciples, they have to experience the saving grace of Jesus. They have to understand that they are sinners in need of a savior. They have to see the cross of Christ for what it is and believe in its ramifications for their lives. But salvation is just the beginning, church. It's the starting line of what Jesus has called us to do. He said, go and make disciples. Disciples of Jesus is what we're called to create. That's why we don't say inspiring people to get saved and baptized. Love that. I want to see people saved. I want to see people baptized. But look at me. God's got so much more for you than that. God wants to do so much more in you than just save you. You know how I know? If all he wanted was to save you, the moment you got saved, he'd have killed you because he was done. That's good. You ever thought about it like that? Yes, Jesus, I accept you. Gone to heaven. You know why he didn't? Because there's more he wants to do in and through your life. That the mission is, this is what I wrote down the last couple of weeks, the mission is maturity. The mission we have is a mission of maturity. That we are called as the church, as the body of Christ, to challenge us all, listen, to grow up, to grow in our walk with God, to go after more of him, to let more of him in us, to surrender all the things that we have under his authority and allow him to transform us. You've heard me say a lot. You're going to hear me say it a lot. Salvation leads to transformation. He saved you from something, and he saved you for something, and there's some things he wants to do in the power of your life. So when people ask me, or I begin to, I ask this question of myself all the time, God, are we getting it right? Are we we really doing what you called us to do? And here's the reality. It's hard for me to know. Are we really inspiring people to live in love like Jesus? Are we really challenging people to grow in their faith? And here's the thing. It's hard for me to know. I don't know if you know this. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a mature believer. Just because you serve on a team doesn't mean you're... You can even put a tithe check in the box there in the back if you want to do that. But that doesn't mean that you're a mature follower of Jesus. And let me tell you what's frustrating as a pastor. Maturity is measured in moments I rarely get to see. Maturity is measured in moments I rarely get to see because I'm not there when you're fighting with your spouse and seeing if you're doing it in a graceful, Christ-like way. I'm not there when you're at work and she is getting on your last nerve and can see whether or not you're operating with the grace that God said you're supposed to at all times with all people. But this is what we have to know. You are called to do more than just get saved. God wants to grow you up in your faith. I'm reminded of something I said to us last year in Live Love. The expectation to follow, not just the invitation to believe. That's what Jesus did. You notice when Jesus is calling his disciples, he never walks up to any of them and says, will you believe in me? 
what does he do? He says, hey, follow me. He says, follow me. You know why Jesus said, follow me? Because Jesus said, I'm going to invite you into my life so that you can have an up-close and personal picture of what God intended for humanity. And his hope was that the picture the first people saw would be imprinted on them in such a way they would pass it on. It's not just an invitation to believe. It is the expectation to follow, to follow the way of Jesus in all areas of our lives. And my vision for our future is that the people that walk out of this church, we're going to be on all spectrums. Come on. There's people right now, and we're going to have to be okay with that. There's going to be people that are, that are, that are just saved, people that have been saved for a little while. And, people, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I think the church is supposed to be infants in Christ and mature believers in Christ. And together, we grow. We challenge each other. We stretch each other. We push each other. We hold each other accountable so that we are acting like the new creature that God said we're supposed to be. There's a moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. We're going to spend this summer walking through this letter to this wild church in Corinth throughout this summer. And I've been reading, preparing for that. And I want you to hear these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behave, listen, behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? I found that wording very interesting. He says, I was among you, but I couldn't give you all the things that you really needed. I gave you just the surface because you, you, you still, you, you refuse to grow. And he says, you act like mere humans. And you know how often I hear when, when we make mistakes, I'm, I'm just human. Come on. We've all said it. We, I, I'm just human. As if we, we met Jesus 15 years ago, and we're still making some of the same mistakes we did when we met him 15 years ago, and our go-to is, I'm just human, pastor. First of all, no, you're not. You're not simply mere human anymore. You know why? Because you're a bud-bought child of God sealed with his Holy Spirit, and something supernatural lives in you, so you are not merely human anymore. The Bible says the same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave now lives in you as his temple. So yeah, you got flesh and blood, but you're not merely human. You are a child of God sealed with his spirit, and you are capable of more than you're giving yourself credit for because of him, in him, and through him. You're not just mere human. Paul's saying you're acting like mere humans when you're not mere humans anymore. You're followers of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. And I just dream of a church that people do who act like it. I want to act like it. Y'all know when, when I'm the most intense preaching, it's because I'm talking to Matt. So don't get mad at me when I'm talking to me. 
That means, like, number one. And yeah, and some, so often we think of maturity, and the only way we measure it is sin management. And that's a part of it. I think Scripture is very clear that we can walk in freedom and victory. I don't think we have to be slaves to the same old sin that, that plagued us before we met Jesus. I don't think we have to live in those chains anymore. Can I remind you what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4? What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too may walk in newness of life. That we've been made new. That God gives us victory and freedom and the power of his spirit to overcome those temptations that plagued us in our former way of life. And now listen, I got the chance this week to speak to two student groups, a group at UR Charter Academy and a group at Providence Grove High School. And can I tell you what I told them? That's like God told me. God does not demand perfection, but he does desire consistency. Say amen if that makes sense. God does not demand perfection, but I think he does desire and equip us to live in some consistency. But I also believe that to walk in as a mature follower of Jesus, it's more than just sin management. It's just like, okay, well, when I was growing up, this was discipleship. You don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't have sex before you get married at the end. Anybody else like that was your exhaustive list growing up? You didn't do those, man. You was good. But if our life is supposed to look like Christ, Christ embodied so much more than sinlessness. He was a man of compassion and generosity and so many humility that there is more to a disciple of Christ than just what we don't do, but the things that we do. The way that we walk out our faith. And the church is supposed to be a place where we learn about that and we step into that maturity. I love Ephesians 4. I've read it in every live love. I've already read it in this iteration of it, but I want to invite you to look at it once more with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, urge you to walk worthy, listen, walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, he who, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And listen, he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Do we grow into maturity? And who is the measuring stick? It's not me. It's not your grandmother who you adore for the walk of faith that she had. It's not Moses. It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's Jesus. I dream of a church that wakes up every day and lays our lives against the life of Jesus and sees the discrepancy and asks him to give us power to close the gap. That every single day, we step a little bit more into looking like Jesus than we did the day before. I don't know what God has for our future right now. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what all we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to be in 10 years. But I know who I want us to be. Not where we're going to be, but who will we be? Will we be a people that's five years from now? Will you be settled with where you are in your relationship with Jesus? Or will you have taken hold of the things that God has put in your life to continue to grow you up and grow me up into the likeness of his son. And what I know is in 20 plus years of ministry now, the one thing I've learned beyond any other is discipleship is the byproduct of desire. You are as mature in Christ as you want to be. That ain't fun to hear, but it is true. You are as mature in Christ as you desire to be. Jesus says, draw near to me. I'm going to draw near to you. Come after me. I'm going to be there. And the other thing I've learned is I can't put desire in anybody. doesn't matter how many songs we do or how great I try to preach or how many new lights we get or what. You got to want it. I can't want it for you. Your spouse can't want it for you. Students, your parents can't want it until Jesus becomes what you want most. We will not get to where I hope we are. So as we wrap up Live Love this series this year, what am I going to ask you to pray for? Pray for the desire to know him better than you ever have. Pray for a desire to allow his spirit to work in you more than ever before. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? I'm going to invite, if you're here today, you're going public with your faith through baptism, would you go ahead and get up out of your seat, head out the back doors to my left. Some of our staff and volunteers will be there to meet you and to give you further instructions and to help you get ready. Just go ahead and go right now if you're getting baptized today. In just a minute, y'all, we are going to watch several people go through the waters of baptism, and we're going to celebrate the life change that that represents. We're going to take some time just to worship the Lord, give them some space to get ready, and to give you some space just to respond to whatever God's saying to you today through what you've heard. As they lead us in worship, you worship however you feel led. If you want to sit, if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to stand and lift your hands, you take a posture of worship and just talk to God. Ask him to help you want him more. He wants you. He's already proven how much he wants you. He wanted you so bad, he left the comfort of heaven to come to the chaos of earth 
He wants you so bad, he let himself be beaten and bloodied and nailed to a cross. He's already proven how much he wants you. You want him? God, help us to do with what we have heard today, whatever you desire. Challenge our hearts and stir them, Lord, and draw them closer to you in a way that helps us see a shift in us, maybe like we've never before. A desire to spend more time in your word, seeking after your truth, a desire to spend more time in prayer, constantly just in conversation with you, to take advantage of all the means and ways that you've given us. And God, you haven't hidden yourself from us. You're not playing some weird game of hide and seek. You have put it out there. Your desire is to be known. And God, we can't know you without it changing us. And we can't get to know you without wanting to know you more. So stir our hearts, God. In Jesus' name we pray.